0: This episode has been brought to you in part by the Azrieli Music Prizes. Join them in celebrating artistic excellence at the AMP Gala Concert, live from Maison Symphonique in Montreal, happening October 20th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Orchestre Metropolitain will premiere award-winning music by laureates Aharon Harla, Iman Habibi, and Rita Ueda. Learn more at AzrieliFoundation.org backslash AMP.
1: Use tools, but I'd rather take a fragile approach. Do what you got to do.
0: <sighs> That's what it sounded like this week at Montreal's Shar Hashemayim Synagogue as workers carefully chiseled a metal cylinder containing a time capsule out of a cornerstone of the building where it had been placed a hundred years ago. That's when the congregation's new home was being built on its current spot in Westmount, a tony, mostly Anglo neighborhood at the time where the Shar has stood for a century. And this weekend, the Shar marked the 100th anniversary of being on the site. They held a ceremony and they rededicated the main sanctuary in honor of one of their longest serving rabbis, Wilfred Shushat, who was hired right after the Second World War and died in 2018. Historically, the shah has been home to some of the most influential leaders and families in Canada's Jewish community, especially in the days when Montreal was the centre of Jewish life in this country. You'll have heard of names like the Bronfmans and the Jacobses and the Coens, and even in more recent times, the late poet and singer Leonard Cohen. The Shah is actually older than Canada. It was formed in 1846.
1: Being surrounded by so much history um, in this building and that's so tied in so many ways to the history of Jewish Montreal and Jewish Canada. It's really humbling.
0: I'm Ellen Besner and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Monday, September the 19th, 2022. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News sponsored by Metropia. And so what was in that long forgotten time capsule from 1922, placed there by members who had just finished sending their sons to fight in the First World War and had survived the Spanish flu, but long before the Holocaust and long before the state of Israel was founded they likely could not have imagined the changes in the world in the intervening hundred years when their time capsule was discovered. The Shars archivist, Hannah Sororzakon, watched as it came out, and then, wearing special gloves, she discovered when she opened it that there was water damage. So, because a lot of what's inside is still wet, they decided to leave most of it be until it dries, but they did find some newspapers of the day, some coins from 1920 and 1921, and she could see some letters and some parchment, but she won't take it out until it's safe. Hannah Sorosakon joins us now with a look at the history of the Shahr and its place in Canadian Jewish life. First of all, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what is the ceremony going to look like? What are they doing?
1: Sure. So a bit of background. Um, We moved into this building exactly on September 17th, 1922. um, And it'll be a quasi-recreation of the ceremony of dedication, which we did 100 years ago. Um, and at that time, what they did was a procession of the Torahs from our previous building um, into this building. And how we'll be marking that is uh, having leaders of the congregation, um, our clergy, etc., um, doing a procession carrying those Torahs down to the front where they will be. Um, Decorated and crowned, um, and there'll be uh, also a beautiful service accompanied um, by our our chazan, which is a Cantor Gideon Zellermeyer, as well as our choir who will be singing um, selections of our musical compositions from across the years, including um, some of our some original compositions for the occasion, um, and you know be a kickoff for. Uh, God willing, our next 100 years. And of course, the most important thing to mention is that we will be rededicating the sanctuary in honor of Rabbi Dr. Wilfred Shushat, who served our congregation from 1946, I believe, was when he was first hired as assistant rabbi until his retirement in 93. um, And then he continued with us as emeritus until 2018. So he was the rabbi who was with us for most of the past 100 years when we were in this building
0: in terms of some of the most famous or well-known people or important people that were members or associated with the congregation. So maybe you
1: can give us some of the names of... uh, I mean, they are celebrities in Jewish history, are they not? (laughs) Well, of course, the first one that always comes to mind for everyone is Leonard Cohen, who did, in fact, grow up in the synagogue. His grandfather and his great-grandfather, as well as one of his uncles, all served as presidents of this congregation. Most notably, His grandfather, Lion Cohen, the longest-serving president, he was also a leader extraordinaire throughout the the Jewish community. He was the founder of one of the first English-Jewish papers. He was uh, a founder of the Jewish General Hospital, the uh, United Talmud Torahs, and was a real community builder. He was the very first president of Canadian Jewish Congress. So, so Lion Cohen is, is one of the real giants from here. And there's so many people I could list off. Sam W. Jacobs, who was a member of parliament um, and a very strong advocate for the Jewish community. Um, one thing he notably did was in 1910, he launched um, a lawsuit against uh, J. E. Plamondon um, who ha- uh, for a blood libel case, um, which is an interesting bit of uh, history of anti-Semitism in Canada. And there's so many people, I mean, in terms of Israeli dignitaries, Chaim Herzog visited here some years ago. Um, many years ago, about 100 years ago, Chaim Weizmann came here and he had dinner with our rabbi then, who is Rabbi uh, Dr. Herman Abramovitz. We've had some great thinkers, uh, Jewish thinkers, pass through our doors, including Abraham Heschel came here. And one of my favorite pieces of uh, trivia is that Solomon Schechter visited here. But
0: it also uh, speaks to the
1: fact that it is the oldest
0: Ashkenazi synagogue in Canada. Yes. The Spanish and Portuguese, of course, was the first one for the Sephardi community. Where did this synagogue founders come from? What
1: are their origins? Sure, so so the synagogue was founded in 1846, actually as a breakaway congregation from the Spanish and Portuguese, which at the time was the only synagogue, Um, and this was founded by Jews of English, German and Polish background who were seeking to um, pray according to their own tradition. So they uh, formed their own congregation, which was, in fact, initially called the English, German, and Polish Congregation, original title. They, they were seeking you know, to actually pray in the Ash-Nazi tradition. They, for the first years, were in a building on St. Constance Street, um, and they continued to build. Ended up on McGill College in 1885, which was our home for a good part of 35 years. And then we moved into this building where we currently are um, in 1922. And here's a little interesting bit uh, of, uh, of history. They had the synagogue uh, founders had uh, when they were looking to move to a new building from the McGill College location uh, prior to World War One had actually purchased a plot of land, which they had to sell for financial reasons following the war, but that plot of land later became the site of the Montreal Forum where uh, the Habs played for many, many years. Uh, so uh, uh, in another timeline that could have been the home for the synagogue.
0: <laughs> also, architecturally, the building itself has some very important historic heritage uh, features. Maybe you can talk about some of them, including the cornerstone that you're researching now.
1: So this building, interestingly enough, our synagogue building is physically the biggest synagogue in Canada. Um, and at the time of its construction, it was considered one of the most beautiful synagogue buildings in, in Canada. And it was a real um, attraction for people to come visit. And um, one of the very first important people who came to see the synagogue was Rav Cook from Israel. He came to visit the synagogue in 1924. And there is um, a wonderful story um, of him giving a, a halachic ruling um, that still holds to today regarding our bima which um, if people haven't seen the sanctuary our bima is centered at the front which at the time was architecturally unusual for synagogues um synagogues would have been more um a bima in the center um, and with the congregation kind of around or you know women sitting in a balcony um, and so they had asked him, you know, what should we, you know, is there a way that we can set up our bima so it's, um, you know, more halachic because some people weren't comfortable with it. And he said that if you have a minion on there all the time, it becomes like its own sanctuary. In, in the meantime, this building has been expanded multiple times since 22. We were expanded in 1948. Um, we were significantly expanded in 1967. Um, and then there has been some further work since. Um, And in the course of those expansions, we have left a trail of time capsules in cornerstones. Um, And this whole saga began this past summer when um, during the course of construction on the front plaza of our building, um, the construction crew accidentally dislodged the corners, uh, the time capsule that was um, inside the 1967 cornerstone. We pulled it out, we went through and it was it was pretty remarkable. Um, It had a lot of materials relating to the Six Day War, to Expo 67, to Canada Centennial. There was letters from the president and the rabbi to the future leaders of the congregation. And that kind of sent us on a wild goose chase to say, well, if there is a time capsule in this stone, what about our other stones? So at this point, we have been able to establish with documentary evidence that we have a time capsule in our 1948 cornerstone, which we'll not be extracting at this time. But we have gone through a process to establish if there is, in fact, a time capsule from 1922. So
0: speaking of this, are you guys doing a time capsule for the 100th or some kind
1: of thing you're putting together for the future Martians that come and find us? (laughs) I can say that we are. We are in the midst of bringing together materials to place another time capsule and so far materials that we have gathered include the newspapers announcing um, Queen Elizabeth II's death because that's a major event that has coincided Um, and we're anticipating to include letters from all of our clergy and our president uh, and we also Um, find it important to include material from the youth of the synagogue from the children too so we get that perspective I found that was one thing missing from the 1967 is you never get the youth perspective and I think we're having some conversations now about what do we feel is important of an image of you know captured in time of ourselves for whatever Jewish community and congregation looks like 100 years from now what we would want them to know of us the game if you are the healer
0: means for people who don't know the building they do know about the fact that leonard cohen and uh gideon zellermeyer cantor zellermeyer made an album that won an emmy or grammy i should say and that that has put you know the synagogue on the map from the wider population not just the jewish population but how important has this music been in the history of the synagogue
1: We have a very strong musical tradition dating back a long time. We've always had some pretty remarkable uh, cantors here, and of course Gideon Zellermeyer is a remarkable cantor. Um, we have a history of original compositions. We had a music director that was here with us for 25 years, his name was Stephen Glass, and we use a lot of his original compositions till this day. And we even, uh, I hear in conversations with people from other synagogues using um, the compositions that have been composed for our congregation, but we do have a very, very strong and an old musical tradition. We have a choir still, um, and the choir still features um, importantly as part of our weekly services. Um, and what's especially nice here is um, our high holiday services are pretty pretty remarkable from a musical standpoint. They they're always really really beautiful and very moving to to listen to. What's your favorite part yourself of the building? Uh, what is my favorite part? That that's a hard question. There's so much. I think I have more favorite items and favorite papers than I do have favorite locations. <laughs>
0: okay, tell me your favorite item so far. One of your top ten.
1: I'll tell you two of my favorites. First one um, was one early paper I found, which was the synagogue's air raid protocol from World War II, uh, which uh, essentially boiled down to that, well, if they bomb us, um, we can't do anything. There's nowhere to hide. (laughs) Um, Another really interesting one that I came across recently was um, a seating plan for um, the memorial service that we held here in 1966. 1976 for um, following the um, Munich Massacre. It was one of the very first public memorial services held. It was held one week before the Montreal Olympics opened. And the reason we held it here um, in collaboration with the rest of the Jewish community was because, of course, the Olympics Committee refused to hold a minute or moment of silence for the Israeli athletes who had been murdered in the, in the Olympics in Munich, so we held a service here, um, which was attended by two thousand people, I believe, um, including the um, Israeli delegation of athletes, relative of of people of those who were murdered um, or survived the Munich massacres, and we had the the seating plan from that, which I found really really striking, um, and also in some ways. Uh, a moving that we held the service here and quite sad that that the Olympics obviously took them years and years uh, wouldn't have done it this themselves and it had to come from within the Jewish community. <laughs> And that's what
0: Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Rick Goodman in Toronto. He's the son of a Canadian World War II Navy veteran. And we'll end the show with this excerpt from the ceremony and concert Saturday night at the Char. Here is the Akiva Youth Choir and their rendition of Lador Vador. Special thanks to Hannah for all the music and the photos.